Good morning and welcome to the Free to Be Show. Today, I'm excited to um, have the other half of Limitless Love come and be on the Free to Be Show. For those of you who may be um, regular subscribers and listeners, you'll know that back uh, in season, I'm just realizing this is actually season five, but I've been calling it season four, but oh well. In the previous version of season four, um, I had his wife, uh, Zahra, on, and that conversation, I believe, was called um, Creating Divine Union or, or something like that. Um, but if you go back um, to uh, June of 2022, I had, um, I had his wife on, who's the other founder, the co-founder of Limitless Love. And um, the name of the book that they wrote is called Before I Do, and it's 150 questions uh, that Muslims should ask uh, when they're looking for a spouse. So I'm really happy to have um, her husband, James, on today, and uh, he's, the, he's the other co-founder of Limitless Love, and we'll be talking about their book Before I Do. Um, below this video, I've already put the link for the book, and I've also put the link for the consultation so that you can connect with them directly. Um, and we'll be back right after this. Welcome to the Free to Be Show. I am a stand for peace, love, joy, bliss sexual pleasure, spiritual connection, elemental connection with nature, and restoring worthiness in women that requires four-mind alignment with your thoughts, heart, nutrition, and yoni. Be a stand for your ultimate joy so that you are replenished and aligned. Are you free? Receive replenishment. Okay, and now for my guest. Salam alaikum. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Absolutely. So I was just saying before you came, before I brought you in the show, that I had your wife on last year, the co-founder of Limitless Love. So. Um, and that conversation was about creating divine union. So today we're going to talk about living in it, right? So that here's the rest of the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So inshallah, um, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked her. What was the inspiration for uh, creating this book before I do? Hmm. Well, I think, you know, I'm going to share a little bit from... Uh, uh, a male perspective, probably more so than anything else. And uh, it was for, you know, different reasons and different seasons in my life. We've been thinking about writing this book for almost a decade. Mm -hmm. uh, and we just never got to it. You know, there's this thing called life that got in the way. And um, basically, uh, at, at, the, at the first and foremost level, uh, as a Muslim man, I felt there wasn't much support for Muslim men out there looking for love. Mm -hmm. uh, I meet 
so many men through my coaching, my inbox on LinkedIn is flooded with men who claim that they want to get married. But when you dig deeper, it's social pressures, it's other things. They're not really serious and they're not really prepared to transition from men to husbands. Mm. And that's, that's a transition. That's, that's growth. That's transformation that needs to take place. And um, I could just see it, that it, it was not there. So for me, that was probably the first reason why. Um, there's a lot of bombastic content on Islam, on women, on feminism, on all these things out there. And whatever your opinion of those things are, at the end of the day, they're not practical, right? Um, how do I get ready to get married? How do I know that I'm ready to get married? How do I get off my own way to get married? These sorts of questions are very um, hard to answer if you're a, a Muslim man, even if you go to a mosque or, or, or to an imam. So that was probably the top the top reason for me. Uh, the second reason was, you know, when 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 I tried to to, to get married uh, to Zahra. Before that, like shortly before I met Zahra, I was like, what do I do? Like, how do I meet a girl? Like, I was my family wasn't Muslim. Uh, I was like, do I spit game to this girl? Like, what do I do? What do Muslims do? Do you go like approach her at the mosque? Like, I was so confused about how to talk to a Muslim girl. And I didn't want to beat around the bush, you know what I'm saying? Like I was, I was like, hey, I want to talk to you for marriage. Like I'm not trying to be friends, if you will. I wanted to, to get married first and foremost, and I want to make my intention clear. And um, I, I actually never got to talk to anybody besides Zahra, and we got married. And so, uh, but in that moment, like I just couldn't find a way to speak to somebody seriously about marriage. I was very social, I was very popular, but when it came specifically to marriage. You know, there is this burden like, oh, marriage in Islam is half the faith. You know, there's so much uh, internal pressure in our heads. I was like, man, I, I got to I got to get my act together. And um, so basically what we did in this book. Is we wanted to cut to the chase, right? A lot of people will say I've been with somebody for five months, six months, five years, all this time. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, what are you discussing to figure out what's going on? And you can see that they're not using the courtship process for what it was meant to be. Like, how are you? How was your day? What you had for lunch? It's not going to help you figure out if this person is compatible or not with you. So mm -hmm. really, these questions help you get to the core of what it means to be compatible. But this comes me bringing me to the third point is that these questions in of themselves don't mean anything. It's not about the questions. It's about the conversations. And I felt that we did not have, especially for men, we did not have a way to productively communicate our emotions and our feelings and our priorities. A lot of men in the Muslim community, including myself, we used to get our priorities from somebody else to impress other men, to do to, to seem religious, to seem cool, to seem whatever. And I really wanted to remove that burden and that unrealistic expectations from, from Muslim men. So these are probably the three top reasons from my perspective why uh, that we wanted to do it. And the long story short was that we see a lot of Muslim women, Muslim men, I want to get married. I want to get married. I want to get married. I'll do anything, get married. I'm like, okay, something is not clicking. And then how many, I talked to 10 people on the apps. I talked to these many people and what you're not really, you are just doing that. You are just talking. You're not actually communicating. You're not actually connecting. You're not actually discerning who's good for you and who's not. Because as we say in our book, the reason, the, the things that you ignore at the beginning are the reasons why you leave at the end. Hmm. Nine out of 10, the reason why you break up about some, with somebody either through an engagement, either after several conversations, either after several years, is very apparent 
immediately at the beginning, but we choose to ignore. So we want to give you the coaching and the courage to not ignore your intuition. When you see a red flag, either address it and make peace with it or move on from that person. Nothing personal. You're just not for me. Thank you. That's a very comprehensive answer. And, you know, there are a couple of points there that I want to touch on. Uh, this, this is a very uh, intriguing point. The first one you made that there isn't a, any guidebook for Muslim men to know um, how to go from, you know, getting married to actually being a husband. You know, I find that you know, you're right. There's a lot of pressure to get married, but then like no one's instructed on what that means and, and who you have to be to live in divine union. Right. Because that's really what it's all about. So um, it, let, let's set the stage for what's the, the bridge between getting married and becoming a husband. And then we'll touch on then becoming a father, right? Because <laughs> you've done that four times too. So, yes, yeah. um, well, I think I think the main thing for again, it, we Muslim men are we have a we have a we have a leadership vacuum in the Muslim community. Even if you enjoy a scholar on YouTube or whatever, that does does not, you know, that's like you can't have a YouTube follow. You know, like, it, it, yes, that that has its purpose, but there's a vacuum still that is filled in the lack of leadership presence in these men's lives. And um, because of that, we are very susceptible. You could just hear Andrew Tate once and like, that makes sense for you. And because of your life experiences, it clicks. Now he becomes your role model, whoever it is, right? Not Not to single anybody in particular, but... The point here is that we are very susceptible because we have a lack of, of leadership in our lives. And what that does is I've seen the most common uh, manifestation of that is men approaching, I mean, men and women approaching the courtship process and marriage as a competition, hmm. as a competition instead of a collaboration. Wow. They approach it as chess as opposed to as a puzzle that we're going to solve together. Right. And, you know, you know how it is. Things add up. Right. Like it's not about one time. Nothing is about ever about one time. Nobody walked out the door after one infraction. Right. It's always about this this energy of competition. We're competing. Who, who's doing more? Who's better? Who's this? Who's that? Over a long period of time. Where's you out? You know, like we're meant for marriage is meant for tranquility, for love, for compassion, for being a garment for one another, not to compete like the gladiator and these are actually books too you know that there's a book called dwell in tranquility and there's a book called um there's actually a three-part series called um was it veil was it my garment or something like that mm -hmm. do you, are you familiar with the series that i'm talking about is it the color series like the green and pink and yeah blue? yeah yeah that one all the muslims read i read those before i got married you know yeah me too <laughs> you know we're showing our age here but you know <laughs> we've read those books and those are good but they don't they don't give you the mindset right those focus on the quran they give you ayahs they give you a hadith um and that's fine but you got to make these things work for you in your life you are a real person not a textbook right and i and i brought those books up for that reason specifically mm -hmm. right so the, the distinction between before i do 
-hmm. and dwell in tranquility and blissful marriage by the doctors, Bashir, you know, all those books is that this, I would say, is the most practical guide. And it's a, it's an actual, it's, it's like walking you through a practical transformation. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, I was married for 20 years and like I did the research, I did the work and I was looking for those answers. So where was your book when I was married? No, <laughs> and, <laughs> but I digress. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the, you know, that's what a lot of Islamic uh, knowledge these days. It's a lot of you should. You should, you should, you should. This is a textbook. You should. These are the absolute best things you should do. And that's fine. But a lot of times, and and people will say, well, if you don't give me the absolute should, then I'm going to fall back and I'm going to be complacent. I'm like, that's fine. We've done this should for 20 plus years. Where has it gotten us? Let's try. You could. Here are things. Let me meet you where you're at. And let's walk up. Right? Like, can I be a husband like Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? Of course not. Right? Can I aspire to be him? Yes, but it's not the. But you can't tell me be like Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam or don't get married. Right? That is the, that's what's happening yeah. in small. That's things, a lot right? of pressure. <laughs> that's a lot of pressure, right? And and so that's the the first thing for for marriage to transition from uh, man to husband. The key is to not treat it as chess, but as a puzzle that you're building together. And I just want to say this a lot, of, like I've seen now a lot of people comment, and maybe this is a minority, right? The internet overblows these things out of proportion, but I see a lot of people, oh, feminism, feminism is going to do this feminist. Like, I'm not commenting on what feminism is or isn't as a movement, as whatever, that's fine. It's just about you and your wife. There's no feminism is a thing, is this, this nebulous thing, a movement or whatever. You're, we're talking about one woman. We're talking about you and this woman. There's no feminism. Why are you putting this boogeyman in the room that doesn't exist? Like what? Like feminism does not exist in it, in of itself. So basically, um, the key is to remember that it's you and your spouse, you and your partner. And now you got a set of Legos, and there are no instructions, but you want to build the most beautiful castle using these Lego pieces. How do we figure that together? That's that's literally the journey is that I have this box of a thousand plus Legos that require time to build and we have taste. You know, maybe when you're younger, you want to build a battleship. But as you get older, you want to build a car or a home or whatever. So there's a taste that change, but ultimately there is no directions. Yeah. And it is key that both of you start the directions and it is very, very important for you not to be looking left and right at other examples. Y'all get to be focused on what's in front of you. How are we going to build this for ourselves? I love that answer. And that's so true. And like, you make it fun. I love yeah. Legos, just not as a mom, because stepping on those things, I know what you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, oh my God. Um, <laughs> but how cool is that? Like, yeah, let's open up the Lego box and build a life together. I love that perspective. That's really great. And you were talking about red flags earlier. Like, what about the green flags? Like, yeah. like if you detect that you're with a sister or a brother who is about, you know, that Lego life, then, huh? yeah, that's somebody to play with, you know, that's and it is play. So. And it's very, it's very challenging. Like, you know, when, when I see people who break up or go through a divorce or get back into dating, I'm like, man, I don't know if I'll survive in this quote unquote dating game these days in this matchmaking game. It is tricky out there because 
what has happened is that people, um, at the first sign of anything, run away. Because now I can just swipe. There's this, this illusion of variety, and especially for men. We men, we crave variety, right? And basically, I'm having a conversation with you. Any, like, you know, it's just like, oh, I don't like coffee, you know, or whatever it is. And I'll take it as a slight because, again, that, 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 that gap that a lot of Muslim men we have now because we don't have a, a clear role models in our lives. I'm just going to swipe and move on to the next one. Any, any potential difficult conversation? Oh, she's giving me drama. She's giving me stress. Oh, I'm going to find somebody else who just says yes to everything, right? But there is that's not a red flag. That's a red. That's a red flag. But for because of you, not because yes, of not because of her. <laughs> right? It's like and, wait, like introspect on that for a minute. You exactly. know what and am I saying? That's the skill that we don't have, right? Because of. Um, because of the way Islamic knowledge has become now commoditized and communicated, the number one skill that Islam commands in the Quran is not knowledge. It's reflection, introspection, thinking, those kinds of things. And now we just want everything. Oh, give me the fatwa, Shaykh. Give me the answer for my life. When the Shaykh cannot give you the answer, he doesn't know. He doesn't live you. You are living your own life. And so, and, you know, there are situations where those are useful. But what we have done and this is our shortcoming as common everyday Muslims. We'd outsource our intellectual responsibility to an imam. All oh, the imams had this. The imam, like the imam, the imam was supposed to lead the prayer and know some Quran. Now we're making him child psychologist, and we're making him marriage counselor, and we're making him basketball coach, and we'll make him like that is not realistic and fair to them. Like, why? And and this is how we just sort of um, slowly evolved in this negative pattern. And so the, the main thing about red flags is that you can't be hunting for problems. Hmm. Just like you can't ignore them, you can't, you can't put your head in the sand. What a lot of people do, especially sisters I know, is that they hunt for problems. That's why we have in our book, you need to sit down, reflect. What are you three, one to, you know, three to five, usually three, we say three must-haves. These are my must-haves. Respect. A certain, uh, you know, uh, a certain degree of maybe worldliness, um, whatever, you know, uh, ne never married before. And you really have to make sure that these must-haves are truly yours, not because your mother projected them onto you, not because your community projected them onto you, not because um, you think it will be cool. It has to be really from you, from within, right? And we give you a process on how to inquire within. Once those three, these three must-haves are there, anything that violates these three must-haves is a red flag. Everything mm -hmm. else, you need to be committed to work through it and understand it and, and not judge immediately. So that's why, because otherwise everything could potentially be a red flag. You burped, that's a red flag. You did this, that's a red flag. Like, no, red flag means like, listen, you need to get out of the water right now. Like, that's what red flag means. A shark is swimming. You need to get out of the water immediately and you need to stop playing the Legos, time out, I saw a red flag. We need to talk right now because you can't let it slide, right? You can't let a red flag slip, not even one second, because the longer you delay, the more it becomes normalized, the more it becomes your forever after. That's so true. You know, I, I like that. And what I'm really hearing you say overall is like, this is about self-leadership. The more mm -hmm. you, um, the more you reflect and you introspect, then you, you know who it is that is meant, you know, to build this life with you. Um, and you'll, you'll 
shift from being on the hunt for red flags to being on the hunt for green flags and um, really cultivating the green flag, you know, that you see. So now I want to talk about one other thing. And I don't know if this is something that it's been a minute since I read your book. I probably should have flipped through before I <laughs> had you on today, but that's okay. Um, right. <laughs> um, I do also want to mention that uh, Bobby Ford is here. She's a regular viewer. She's not a Muslim. And I think that your book is really great for everyone. Um, hey, Coach B, she, she's also not a Muslim. But, you know, it's like your, your book is great for everybody because I love the the deep reflection and, and you like I transform. And I, I think that was just after 17 questions, you know? So, um, I, I, um, and you have to kind of go back and see who you're being with that. And, um, and it stops the judgment, right? It really, um, because you, you have to see like, okay, this is bothering me because of something within me. And um, the other point that I want to talk about is consent, right? So a lot of things are taken for granted in conversations, mm. right? You were talking about normalizing some things. And so having the language of consent really cultivates an environment of respect so how, how do you, um, or like when I say that, what comes up for you? I want to go back to something about, because we use the same term, self-leadership. Oh, okay, okay. Self-leadership is such an important term, again, because we've outsourced a lot of things to the outside world, right? And a lot of men will say, well, I'm not ready to lead because the prophet, peace be upon him, said, you're all a leader and every leader is is responsible for his flock and I don't want to take on any more responsibility. I can barely handle blah, blah, blah. And my answer is always the same to be, to be, to be ready to get married. All you need to do is to be ready to claim responsibility for yourself. That's it. You're not responsible to change your wife. You're not responsible for, and are you ready? If you take responsibility for yourself, everybody will take responsibility of themselves. What happens is, is once you start meddling and trying to control people, which is not responsibility, by the way, that's when problems arise. So the key is, am I ready to control? Uh, am I ready to be ready to be a leader in my own life, to be able to have that leadership internally? Once I do that, and that was the Prophet ﷺ. Once you do that, peace be upon him. Once you do that, you are ready to get married. Don't worry about the other person. So now when it comes to this language of consent, I would say that, again, sometimes that is, um, I'll say maybe like violated when you approach it as, as an interview. I mean, I use an analogy of the interview and the job, but you have to reserve judgment. You said it beautifully. Right. You cannot you are not judging the other person. I am I am just inquiring. That's where the green flag hunting starts is in the example of the prophet who said to give the fellow believer 70 excuses or more. Right. I'm just going to keep giving you excuses. Oh, you didn't mean it. You didn't. And that's fine. But you could also say, see, I could bring up a red flag without being judgmental. Hey, you um, you know, I mentioned that it's really important to me that um, that 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 the house remains clean, right? And, um, but you seem to dismiss that. 
you seem like, oh, it's no big deal. Like, uh, and I can see that you have shoes in your floor, et cetera, et cetera, in your apartment or whatever it is, right? And I just wanted to bring that back up just to, to ensure that you're hearing me that uh, this is very important to me and I need somebody to support me with that. And I just want to explicitly hear your thoughts on the matter. See how you brought it back into the conversation without saying, no, you did this and you, you said that and this and that and whatever without pointing fingers. And then the art here is just to keep asking questions. And if nothing else, you just say, and what else? And what else? You just keep asking because again, it's not about the questions. The 17 questions that resonated with you may be 17 totally different questions for somebody else. It's the, it's really, you know, you're a coach and you know this, right? Any, any sort of small business person knows this is that, uh, it's the art isn't the follow-up. When you ask one question, if everything is just yes, no, one question, nothing is going to happen. When you ask the first question and they say, tell me more. What did you mean by that? Oh, why is that? How, how did you come to take this perspective? That's what helps you recognize this person for truly for how they're thinking, how they make decisions, because that's what's going to influence you. I'll give you an example. When we were getting married, I didn't want to take photography. I was of the opinion, well, I heard that photography is not good. And, and I was like, look, I don't want to jeopardize. It's just pictures. I don't care about pictures. And why do I take this unnecessary risk? So when we were talking with Zara about marriage, about logistic, photographer, I was like, look, I don't want to have photography at our wedding. She said, I want to have photography at our wedding. What can we do? Whatever. I was like, well, we could do photography. I'm not in it. Or I can't remember what we decided. Right. But it was, but then it wasn't just, I don't want photography. It's not permissible in Islam. Goodbye. Like we're done, right? No, Zahra kept asking me questions. Well, tell me more. What is, and she understood like what my thinking process was. How would that affect other areas of my life when I'm making decisions? And so, and she was comfortable moving forward a compromise. I don't remember what the compromise was, uh, but we didn't have like fancy photo shoots, et cetera. I think we had a photographer, but we didn't do like, you know, sitting in the grass, mm -hmm. and, you know, whatever, the, all the little posts. Um, and so... So it's really important to understand you have to go below the answer. Sometimes right. the answer is even people are trying to save face. I try to do so the art is in the follow-up. It's not enough to just read through the questions and somebody because somebody can tell you anything, right? And then yeah. you know tell you what you want, right? And so yes. you have to smart to, to quote unquote not get played. And I don't mean it like in an adversarial. <laughs> I know what you mean, right? Yeah. If this is it's a do you mind if I work? No. Okay. Do you mind if I just, no, no. Like keep asking why, how long, whatever. Like you want to press that, all those things, especially things that you've seen people are being invasive just to get to the core of it. And again, it's not judgmental. This is, this is an exploration. This is like you're, you're, you're Indiana Jones hunting for a treasure. You just yeah. hunting for a treasure here, or is it this just rocks and dirt? I need to know, right? Is it gold or is it going to be just rocks? And hopefully it's gold and that, that will be your forever after. But otherwise, if you settle for rocks, that's what you're going to have forever after. That's not what most people aspire to have. At all. I, I love the way you put that. And, you know, it's the deep listening, really, the the active and the deep listening. We have a visitor. That's my so son. I love it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Mashallah. Okay. So, um, and... After this, we're going to ask um, about the transition to fatherhood. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's a journey. Um, 
But I, I love that you brought up the deep listening and um, the importance of further inquiry and, um, and the fact that the answers, right? Con consent, a lot of people think that consent is just like asking for a yes or no, but that's not consent. It's like being very specific, you know, and um, well-defined um, if we're, yes, let's agree to photography. And this is a way that makes me feel comfortable. This is a way that makes you feel comfortable. And, you know, now we have an agreement and that's really what marriage is, right? It's a commitment and an agreement. And, and it, it is lifetime. Well, no, let me not say that. It's a, it's a lifetime of commitment and agreement. And you can't um, confuse that with uh, a lifetime of consent because mm. the consent has to always be re, um, reintegrated in everything you do. Right. Love, love that. Love that. And, and you know, for the community, we talk about listening. Like, again, from, from a male perspective, imagine as a Muslim man, let's say you go to mosque and you get involved in, in Islam and these things starting from 18 and now you're 30 and you're getting married. Right. What type of example of a man do you get? Right. Mostly you get an imam or a sheikh who talks undisputed, who just talks and talks and talks and talks and talks, lecturing, lecture, 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 lecture. Right. Again, nothing wrong with that, but this is the the upbringing that these men are having. This is just a fact, right? You have that. And then on the other hand, and this is why I started Limitless Love, was really because when I would go to the mosque, I'll see these uncles, you know, when I was younger, and I feel like they just didn't love their wives. Like the way they sp mm. spoke about their wives in their absence, the way they would, you know, say certain things. And like, and they just seemed like they were just enduring this marriage, you know, mm. instead of that was not the example of the prophet. That was not the example of prophet Musa. That was not the example of prophet Ibrahim. And so I, I was like, where are you getting these? Who's your role model? Right. And so, but the common theme is that men see other men just lecturing and talking. And that is definitely a disservice if you're trying to have a miraculous marriage. If you want to have an average marriage, if you want to have a marriage like, you know, you just have like a roommate with you that cleans and cooks or whatever, that's fine. But we're so, I'm talking about only people looking for a miraculous marriage, a marriage that allows you to experience and reach heights that you couldn't do alone, right? Mm -hmm. In any dimension, in wealth, in love, in spirituality, in family, in any dimension, you could not do it by yourself. You had to have this partner. And to do that, you need, there's four levels of listening that we discuss in the book. We didn't invent them. These are sort of known, right? Well, we're going to come back and you can, we'll start with the four levels of listening and then we'll transition into the next topic after this. We are live, we punished. It's 2023. Hi, I'm Cordelia, the Replenish Me Strategist. Did you know when you free your hips, your mind will follow? Yeah, you'll be free and transcend. You don't have to do it alone. Don't believe what you see with your eyes. You can manifest exactly what you desire in your heart. Join me, the Replenish Me Strategist. Be aligned and transcend.
So let's talk about those uh, four levels of listening. And everybody yes. take notes. <laughs> yeah, really, you know, there are four levels of listening. And most of us are stuck in the first two. The, the first level of listening is replaying the past, where you and I are talking about, like, I already know what you're going to say. I already know what she's going to say. Like, you're not even there. Like, it's just a one-way street. This is, a, this is not communication anymore. Like, it's just you're saying things, and they're replying to you, not even listening to them. You're just saying things, right? So that a lot of people are stuck in that one. Um, number two is the argument, the debate, the level of debate, where, you know, as you are talking, as the other person is talking, you're just thinking about a rebuttal. So you're listening, but you're just listening to rebut that person. So you're missing the point of communication. The point of communication is for us to get to a common goal, right? Stage one listening, level one listening, level two listening, you have separate goals because you have your own goal and you're hell bent on getting to that goal. And so already you're not in a great place. Level three listening is that of empathy. Can I really gain, you know, second person perspective? Can I really not not what I think your perspective is, but really try to understand it, right? Like walking a mile in your shoes for real, right? And that one really helps understand things like when I said, like, oh, this bothers me that the, that the room is not clean. Not, oh, she just said it, or yeah, I think she's, but I think I know what she means. Like, no, do I truly, can I truly embody that and understand it? But the most powerful one, to go back to the Lego analogy one, is level four listening. And that this is where the magic happens. And that's... Um, creating or envisioning a common future, right? The Lego piles on the floor. What can we imagine together? What can we create? We do not know the answer. I don't have the answer. You don't have the answer. Let us discuss and co-create the future that we want. And we teach this in the Limitless Love program, of course, in more detail. Um, our book really, we try to distill it for people who um, can't commit or don't have the time to commit to the full coaching program. So we put some nuggets and gems in there from the coaching program. But those are the four levels of listening. What we try to coach people to do is to get you to be at three, a third or the fourth level of listening as much as possible, even at work, even because at work you have that as well. You have that boss who's always at number one level of listening. You work so hard and she or he just dismisses you like, okay, okay, okay. Just tell me what I want to hear. Stop, stop, stop. Like, and you, and you put a lot of time and effort into your presentation. It happens all the time, right? And so those skills and limitless love in general teaches you the skills to thrive in any environment. But, you know, many people seek it for their relationships. Wow, that's so powerful. And I like that you brought work into this because it's, you know, what we practice on a regular basis is who we're going to be. You know, like who you are in private is who you are in public, whether you believe it or not, or you acknowledge it or not. And who you are in public is not always who you are in private, right? So let's just be honest about that. Um, so on the point of uh, wanting the house clean, <laughs> right? Uh, what was that like transitioning into fatherhood? Because, you know, Legos hurt yes. and screaming happens. <laughs> I think that one, you know, transitioning into fatherhood um, becomes really, it's a different, it's a level up, right? Like you're leveling up in terms of personal responsibility, first and foremost. And to me, the, big, the biggest thing that I'll say, number one, so you, you said it before, right? 
your needs and your expectations evolve over time. And it becomes what is our must have now as a family unit, right? Not just as a couple. And things might change. Maybe the house being pristine falls down the pecking order. Maybe you occasionally want to have to have pristine, but not at every waking moment when before it was like I had to have it pristine all the time. But for Muslim men, this is the main thing that I would say. And this is super, super important. If you take nothing from this call, this probably hopefully, and it's simple. Everything about Islam is simple. That's the main thing, right? The most important thing for Muslim men is to take time off as soon as your child is born to bond with your child. People, Muslim men will say, well, the baby's boring. It's just eating and, and, and pooping, right? And like not doing anything and sleeping most of the time. So I'm better served working. And that's a mistake. It's like, I'll wait until the child becomes two and three and they're moving and they're more fun. And I will, you know, be home with them then. If you do not take the time off now, you will not spend time with your child when they're two, three, four, and five. And that's what I found my own, with my own experience, that bonding in the first week of birth, in the first month of birth, with the baby's not doing anything but laying there, you know, staring at you and you're staring at him or her, that sets the foundation for your relationship. And the, your child experiencing that masculine energy in those formative weeks and days of their life has a huge impact. And feeling the presence of a father during that time is very, very important. And, you know, the Prophet ﷺ, we don't know how involved he was necessarily in those times, but we know he didn't work a corporate job. We know he didn't commute for one hour each way. We know a lot of other things. So we know at least on the societal level, we're off balance compared to that time, right? And then there are times like, you know, in the time of the Prophet, uh, Parents would send their children away, right, to the Bedouins to learn Arabic and do other things. But that's when they're older. That's why I think don't wait until one year, two years, say, okay, I'm going to take time. Because number one, you don't. And, and number two, because it's harder. Like even now companies give you, you know, free paternity leave at any time. How many fathers take it? Very rarely. At least at the beginning, you have an excuse. My wife is in labor. I need to tend to her at least. Keep riding that way. My, when my son Musab, who's 11 now, was born, I took three months off. Uh, when my daughter was born, I took two months off, then another three months, and then I was a full-blown stay-at-home dad for my fourth one. So I was there uh, for for the, his whole infancy, basically. Zaid, who just came and sat with me right now, who's three. Clearly, because he he you know he woke up, he has to tell you good morning. Yes, exactly. So you can already see that connection. Yeah, and that. That sets the foundation, right? That connection, that trust, that presence. Like, there is not, no money is going to, like, if you are like, stay, people, fathers stay away for two reasons, either because they're chasing money or because they're afraid. It's mostly because they're afraid, but some people, maybe, yes, they do chase the money. And you have to face your fear head on, just like with anything else and understand it. It's just an introspection. There's nothing else. Because remember, in the Quran, it says that the devil promises you poverty. So those thoughts that you're hearing, the ego and whatever you're hearing, poverty doesn't just mean material poverty, poverty of love, poverty of relationship, poverty of trust, right? All of those things, that's what he's going to promise you. And so you need to resist that urge and face that and, and contra it with the truth that God is ever loving, God is ever present, God is ever supportive, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but taking time off to be with your child, talking about the first day, the first week, 
Um, even if you could just do two weeks at first and one month, it helps you also set your routine. Now you understand when you're helping because you need, you know, the mom needs to sleep when the baby sleeps because she's breastfeeding if she breastfeeds or if she's feeding in general, you know, at odd hours. And so whenever the baby sleeps, you sleep. So then you have to take care of the baby. Then when, when the baby is asleep, change the diapers, do those things to, again, make the Lego set work, make the dream work, right? Teamwork makes the dream work. That's the key. At the end of the day, it's not about, oh, how I'm a man. I don't change diapers. Like just all this misplaced masculinity. And what we need is more high performing Muslim couples. And to do that, you know, everybody needs to play their part and we cannot compare compartmentalize. Like we're going to be a team in every area in the baby side. We're going to be a team in the kitchen side. We're going to be a team in the money making side. We're going to be a team in the spiritual side. We're going to be a team in every area. We're going to be a team. Yeah. Maybe I'll carry more of the burden in one area than, than another, but I'm a teammate. I am ready. If, if you're the captain of one dimension of our lives, I'm ready to listen to my captain to say, hey, I need help with this right now. Go, go get it. This is the best thing for the team. And I trust that you have our best interest at heart. So I'm just going to no question ask. All right, got it. Let's, 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 I'll take care of this thing for you because I know that this is your domain of expertise and I'm going to relieve that burden from you, if you will, or just take care of my portion of this responsibility. I, I, you know, I want to touch on a couple of things there. So first of all, developmentally, it's the baby needs to have their father there. And, and those like first few hours and days, you know, secondly, for building that dream life with your wife, the support that you, you know, because also in the Islamic tradition, we have the 40 days. Um, I call it the 40 day retreat, right? For the mom. Um, mm -hmm. just to be in that baby moon. And that mm -hmm. is an opportunity also for the dad to be part of that baby moon because like collectively you have all those hormones, you know, together and the oxytocin is really high in those first 40 days. So if you want to have a long lasting relationship with both your child and your wife, that is a prime opportunity. You know, mm -hmm. there's so much more to intimacy than just sex. That is like, that is a great opportunity for intimacy. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing that you said um, about the, the different um, expertise of the team members, right? So it's about harmony, right? We always talk about balance. And it, it's, it's never about balance, it's about harmony. It's like, where can you harmonize? Right. It's been, I mean, like I have two sons and four daughters. My boys, they are much better cooks than my daughters. Like my daughters, they can make a good cake. One of them's really good at pies, you know, but to like actually cook real food, like those are my boys. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it's not a woman thing, you know, nope. women, so that that's an opportunity another bonding opportunity cooking with your spouse you know so um and those are the things that have to get up leveled when you when that transition to motherhood and fatherhood happens right now it's not just you two now you've got more people that's that right. you're collectively responsible for so the harmony is so important let me see some of these comments here hey wanda thanks for being here that's because, oh, oh, that's a person. Oh, I think he's talking about the comment about the way you are one place is the way you are another place. 
that's a man who understands a role of a woman. Go, dad, go. So props to you, James. Sure. So, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that, um, that comment that you made around, um, around the evolution of your relationship. Now you have a third, a third, a third person, a fourth person, a sixth person, you know, but you're still a couple. Yeah. How do you protect your couple down? Well, not how you protect, how they evolve your couple down yes. in the presence of smaller people. That yeah. tension all the time. Including yes. now, he was just running right here and now he got bored <laughs> of me. And basically, right, and that's, that's work. But see, this is why you go back to the beginning, right? If you are committed to loving each other, if you are committed to being together, if you genuinely love each other's presence, and that's what we say that you have to be children. You have to be willing to be played. The process of the main thing that you can take away is that he was very playful, especially with his wives and the children in his lives, even related relatives or unrelated to him. He was always playful. And this is what Muslims don't realize. The majority, the majority of the stories that we know of the prophet, like the peak of all the narratives around his life, were in his 50s and 60s. He was a old man he was a grown man and he's playful racing his wife running around carrying his grandchildren kissing them let them ride on his back all those stories he wasn't 30 right i mean we know nothing about him until he was 40 plus right already so um and that's that's why playfulness comes into play so when you're doing the courtship process not to revert back to that part i see a lot of people just gloom and doom like there's i was like if you're suffering in the courtship what do you think is going to happen later on <laughs> there's more problems, life coming <laughs> bills and the problems and this and that like like we do the spiritual work not to have a challenge-free life right but to face challenges with grace and so you're going to get challenges all the time that's just the name of the game of this world otherwise it'd be a very boring game if it was just all monotonous right and um and so Look for playfulness, look for joy, look for genuinely wanting to be in the presence of this person, right? In the courtship process, because that's what's going to carry you through the years and the decades. So when you have kids, you still genuinely crave each other's presence. And you could, like my wife and I, what we used to do, uh, we're better at it now that we don't do it necessarily in this way. But when we, when we only had one or two children, we had times where we was time up from the children. Like we would go out, we will dress up nicely. And we will not talk about work or children, which oh, wow. at first is very difficult because that's your life. We had a yeah. business together. We had a business together. We had a, bus a business together and we had uh, two children at the time. You couldn't talk about these two topics. What are we going to make for lunch? What is the immunization situation? What about investors? No, no. It's very hard at first, but then the first time you might be quiet. And that's the thing. I'm my only child and my wife is kind of reserved and quiet. So we're both comfortable being quiet. Like we could just sit there, right? like just sipping our coffee, it's looking outside of Manhattan. We lived on, on Fifth Avenue so we could look out the park, whatever. And that's fine too. You can be comfortable in silence, but you still are together, right? And then we developed conversations to reinforce, again, our love for the other person. As they evolved, she changed. I mean, when I married her, she was 23 or whatever. And, you know, I was 24 and we changed over time. And so... You want to get to discover, continually learn to know that person and discover them. And to do that, you have to protect your couple them. Uh, and, and that doesn't mean that you love your children any less or that you're negligent. No, like you make 
it's different seasons, different times of the day, right? And you make time for your partner and you make time for your children. And likewise, we have blocks for children. On certain days, I only hang out with one of my four children. Each day, I have alone time with one of my children where we do something that they want to do. They get my undivided attention, right? So it's just committing and recommitting to the things that you love and that you understand bring you intangible value beyond money. Because a lot of people prioritize money. But even when I started coaching many years ago, I always said the same thing. Whatever you think your job gives you, it's taken away more. Mm -hmm. By default, that's what a capitalistic job is has to take more than it gives otherwise it does not stay in business hmm that's a really great point i love that you brought up uh dates with your kids you know because this is a conversation i commonly have with moms but this is the first time i've heard a dad that has dates with his kids so that's super important too and i'm sure that um enlivens your marriage as well you know mm -hmm to uh, I remember I was interviewed once upon a time how do you get your husband to be more involved with the kids I was like wow I'm having an interview about this you know <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I can refer you to that show so you can tell them how to do that <laughs> and I mean look at the end of the day nine times out of ten right nine times out of ten your displeasure in your marriage is really nothing but you projecting displeasures and other areas of your life into it. I meet so many men, they're like, oh, my marriage is unsatisfying, my wife is this, my wife is that, then we haven't had intercourse for a year since we had the baby, blah, blah, blah. And, and those are, this is the danger of excuses, right? I have an entire program where I talk about the excuses that Muslims make that blocks them from their dreams. But these are just excuses, right? But the danger with excuses, they are factually true. Their presence is true. It's their power that is false. Yes, you haven't had intercourse in a year. It's factually true. But it's hold over you is false, right? Well, and going back to my point, if, like, what did you do in those first 40 days? Exactly. If you, right. if you were there, you, you would have had intercourse yes. before a year, you know? That's so. right. And then basically, right, so... Or a lot of a lot of guys, I feel like what happens, they are not leaders in their own lives at work. So they feel uh, underappreciated at work, underpaid at work. Um, they're not content with like how they, and so they project it into their marriage. And so when you have, a, but the same thing, then you feel like, oh, you're not good with your father or you're not, uh, you know, good with your children. You project that onto the marriage as well. And of course, when you are doing these dates with your children or taking them, you know, after work, I just take all four of my kids. I round them up like, let's go to the park. Let's start some trouble. Let's see what happens. You know, <laughs> maybe there'll be some ice cream involved at some point. Keep an open mind, you know. And um, basically, um, it gives the mom a break. And then she's replenished. The replenish me retreat right there, right? Replenish. Right. <laughs> so that when she comes, when you come back, now you can have that that playfulness and that fun, but she's always at zero. She can't pour into you if she's always at zero. And likewise, you can't pour into her if you're always at zero, but what depletes a man is usually that, <clears throat> that search for meaning, right? Like, am I meaningful at work? Am I meaningful in my family? And when men don't find that, and they don't know that you have to create meaning for yourself, they get depleted and they're, they check out. They check out from the household, they check out from the marriage. I love that. 
Is there anything else that you'd like to put in this space? This has been like a really transformative conversation, I'm going to have to say, because um, I, it's, it's brilliant, this, this, um, the book and the way that you structured the book, because like I, I studied a lot, a lot of marriage books, like from the Islamic perspective and even from like just regular male female relation ships and i i just love the structure that you two put into place and you know having interviewed zahra last year and now speaking with you you know you embody exactly what everything that your book says so and i'm going to just go ahead and shameless plug for your book <laughs> and having a consultation with both of you um you know this is a couple that actually they are their work they they didn't just like research yes he's a, a doctor but they didn't just research it and like put it into the book and one through one two three four steps to perfect marriage nope they cultivate this every single day with every single interaction with each other and with their children so um okay and the links to their book and their consultations are underneath this video okay and now you can give us your last golden um you know, what I would say is, is that um, I will say that really anybody that's listening to this, if you are looking, I'll say, can I, I'll say two things. I just want to go back to that academic thing and about being about your coaching. Look, before I, I started my spiritual journey, uh, before I started my spiritual journey, I tried everything. I tried The Secret. I tried Marianne Williamson. I tried Wayne Dyer, Michael B. Beckwith, uh, Cardone, uh, all, all, all the gurus out there. I tried them, the secular the secular gurus, right? I tried all of them. And there's useful truth. And look, anything truth and useful that they say is present in Islam. We just haven't found it, right? Like there is no truth outside of the truth of God, capital T, right? And so yes. anything useful that they said was in Islam. And it was useful, but it didn't move the needle. Like it was more knowledge for me, but it wasn't a knowing, right? And it wasn't until I was able to integrate from an Islamic perspective that things just, I became. And that's what, what really sort of catapulted my life in a positive direction. And so if you have been dabbling in Tony Robbins and in different sort of secular modes of, of, of uh, self-development and you've seen limited results, then you might want to check out what we do because the way we do it is we frame it for Muslims. It's not that we frame it. We just begin it from an Islamic perspective, right? And that really, really grounds the work and gives it a chance to uh, become a core of your being. And really that's what transformation is. You mentioned it before, right? For 2023 to be different than 2022 is going to come down to what do you do daily? If you do the same things you did daily in 2023 as you did in 2022, it's going to be a repeat. And I meet a lot of professionals because I'm on LinkedIn, a lot of professional men. They tell me, James, I've been working for 10, 20 years. But when I've discussed with them, especially Muslim men, what you realize is that they didn't work for 20 years. They worked for one year, 20 times. Hmm. I just yeah. do the same thing over and over. I'm not growing and things that don't grow are dead, right? And that's why you feel dissatisfied is because you are not growing. And you, we just have this innate need for growth and change and transformation within us. And so 
the, the main thing that I'll say is that if you've been looking in self-development, especially secular and it didn't work, I can promise you, because I was in that in that phase myself, you are closer to your breakthrough than you think. You are potentially one mindset shift away from your breakthrough. It is that easy. We love introducing complexities, but actually just some introspection, some reflection is very, very powerful. Whether you're trying to get married, you're trying to get promotion, you're trying to launch your business, trying to scale your business, there is a spiritual solution to every worldly problem. And so don't despair. Know that there is, you are much closer to your solution. There is a solution first and foremost, since if there is a problem, there has to be a solution by default, by the way Allah created everything in pairs. And on top of that, it is much closer than you think. Thank you for that. And that's how you live in divine union. It starts from within your relationship with Allah. <clears throat> and then you can create that in your marriage and every other place you are in the world. So um, for those of you who are viewers and listeners, if this touched you and this transformed you, share this with another life, share this with another soul. And until next week, be free. So are you free? Do you own your part in that? Rather than lingering in shame, guilt, and despair, let's see where you can create more freedom, more joy, and replenish from within. Visit me at CordeliaGafar.com and sign up for the five ways to only create joy. Until next week, be free.